This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Steven. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that the show will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome in, friends. What are y'all drinking Thank this you. week? What are you kicking back with? Uh, I've got a Tropic Haze India Pale Ale from Silver City Brewery. I don't know where Ooh. that's at, and I hate how pretentious that sounds. Your drink game is strong on this podcast, my friend. Thank yes, you. it is. Can you describe oh, the flavor? Way too strong on the IPA, not enough on the Tropic. You, you know what I mean? just wanted mm-hmm. to make some nasty slurping. You, Emily just... <laughs> Is trying to sabotage me. <laughs> Shout out to Emily. <laughs> Thank you. There it is. I'm Emily, drinking, what are you drinking? I am drinking your good old pure leaf unsweetened black tea. That's exactly what I'm drinking too. And it is so. ice cold. Oh, wow. It's mm-hmm. yes, it's mm-hmm. perfection. We're in it together. That's exactly what I have on my desk. Oh, Absolutely. Fun. Love it. Friends. Well, so at the time of recording this, we're heading into Thanksgiving, but at the time this releases to the internet, We've already had Thanksgiving, so happy ah. Thanksgiving. Thank you. And headed into this Christmas season. Mm-mm. You know what I was doing? I was thinking about the our last few episodes we've had on the podcast, and I realized following a conversation about originalism that we did a like that was a that was a good primer to how we might approach scripture. And then having a conversation mm. about the liturgical calendar was kind of a an introduction to the way we approach tradition. So it seemed like we were accidentally piecing together all the all the pieces of what is known as the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Oh, Stephen, you're so smart. That and I was, is so accurate. I was thinking it's time that we that we talk about this because I don't think we've talked about the way our podcast art is designed, but we we intentionally subtly hint at the quadrilateral with the white cross in the background of our artwork. So I'm ready to talk about it. And I think at the risk of this sounding like last episode and this episode are like Methodism 101, Emily, I was hoping you could give Josh and I a quick lesson as to the origins of this tool and the way it's been used in the Methodist Church. Absolutely. So the Wesleyan quadrilateral, um, or as Methodists call it, the Methodist quadrilateral, because, you know, we got to claim things. Um, Classic. It's, it is very. We, it's, it's a way of um, methodically organizing theological reflection, um, and it's credited to be, I don't know, created or formed by John Wesley, um, who was the founder of the Methodist movement in the late 18th century. However, the term itself, Wesleyan quadrilateral, actually didn't get formed, like it didn't take place until the 20th century by, oh. a, mm. by a Methodist scholar named Albert Outler. So he actually was the one that took Wesley's ideas and he actually created the quadrilateral. Like Wesley 
didn't actually huh. create the quadrilateral himself. He just expressed these four elements. And Albert Outler is the one that actually composed what we know as the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Oh, okay. So the Wesleyan quadrilateral is comprised of, Stephen, do you know? I do know. I also, okay. I think I think we should establish now when, when we're within the first 10 minutes that we could probably call it the quad from now on just because quadrilateral yes. is a very tongue twisty word. I don't so, like that word. So the, quad, the Wesleyan quad is comprised of scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Yes. And some would even say they want to be more specific and they would say Christian experience. Oh. But I think that's up oh, to interpretation. That, that can be up to interpretation. So um, as far as how Methodists have used it, we try to see it as not just a source of authority, but more as lenses of perspective of how we should form our own theology. And it helps us to also understand other people's theology. It's a very observational tool that you can take into your own life and formulate it for yourself, if that makes sense. That does make sense. I'm yeah. curious, is there a particular graphic that you grew up having the quad represented with? Yes. Can you describe so, it? Yes. So, okay, so imagine essentially a cross, right? Okay. But instead of the bottom length being longer, it's like a plus sign. So you have this plus sign and then in the top left corner, you would have reason. The top right corner would be scripture. The bottom left would be tradition and the bottom right would be experience. Hmm. And I have seen more elaborative versions where they would place personal and private in the either the top middle or the bottom middle. And then like works of hmm. mercy and works of piety would be to either the left or the right. And again, that that is more elaborate hmm. because we're adding other elements of Wesley's beliefs into the quadrilateral. But as far as the standard quad, it's reason, scripture, tradition, experience in that order. So those other things, are those like imagining the quad as like a massive Venn diagram and those are like overlaps or something? No. So imagine like a line graph uh-huh. Yeah, it's very algebraic. It is. It's very algebraic where you would have a point and you'd have to find like in battleship. You know, you sunk my battleship. Yeah. A3. Oh, so, so it's like the so axes. You'd find, yeah, you yeah. would find A and okay. 3. And so like works of piety that would be private that would fall under the, you know, experience category or whatever the case may be. I'd have to actually find the picture and I can actually share it in the show notes. Sweet. Yeah, that would be cool because I've never seen that. Yeah. Me neither. I, I really like that that kind of overlay concept. And I think it was actually based on on this history you have with the quad, Emily. This is this is how we had the, the Ravel work designed, like the artwork mm -hmm. designed as we have that the white cross with co-equal legs. Like they're all the same length. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily like a Roman cross shape that Christians exactly. are famous for. So Josh. Did you grow up with any kind of theological tool or framework like this? How familiar are you with the quad in general? Um, I would say this is about my experience of the quad. Like I know okay. this much about it, um, like the four elements of it 
Um, sure. But I was not raised with that underpinning of like how to seek out truth. Um, sure. If anything, I think that the traditions I grew up in were much more heavily weighted toward scripture, but also reason. And I think that I've heard reason lumped in with experience. I don't know if that's how it's traditionally conceptualized, but um, no, we didn't use the Wesleyan quad growing up. And to be honest, I didn't hear about it until like maybe a year or two ago. I heard people mm. talking about it a lot and I didn't realize either that until now that it was um, like a 20th century concept. Mm-hmm. So where did yeah. Wesley get it from? Well, it was his own personal formation for theology. He didn't really mm. put labels to it. He just attributed these ideas in his writings and in his sermons. So Wesley insisted deeply that scripture was the first authority and really that uh, it contained the only measure of truth and everything else sort of added onto it. So really mm. Wesley loved tradi- like he loved scripture followed by tradition. He wrote about tradition almost as much as he wrote about scripture, but it was more in the general sense rather than like very specifics of tradition. And mm. yeah, reason and experience he sort of lumped in together. But there were times where he was able to separate reason and experience in his writings and they were clearly distinct. But for the most huh. part, it was thought that reason and experience could be lumped in together. But Outler decided not to. Oh, really? Yeah. Outler thought it was important to separate the two. Interesting. So the way that I've heard the quad explained is like using each four elements as like equal underpinnings. But you're saying when Wesley thought of all of these things together, he still saw scripture as the most important. Absolutely. Interesting. Mm. Very mm. interesting. Yeah. So do you feel like like the modern or like the evolved concept of the way people talk about the quad now, do you feel like it's not true to the original concept? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say Because actually, that's how I've heard people talk about it. It is, but when you ask someone of those four, they're either gonna say, Well, you know, I tend to view experience more, even though they mm. want to see it equally, they're gonna the first thing they're going to say more than likely is going to be the one that they either relate to the most or the one that they find to be the most meaningful out of all of them. And it's that, not to say that yes. they don't find meaning in any of them or all of them. They do. But there's probably going to be one that they see as being more tangible and more influential in their theological perspective than of the other three. And so for sure. Wesley, definitely he did. He saw... He saw mm. meaning behind all of them, but he saw scripture as being the most important. And that was for him personally. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So to define his hierarchy or if Outler did it outright as well, it was scripture has the most weight followed by tradition, reason and experience finishes up the list. Yes. Okay. I'm curious yeah. to, I'm, I'm curious to break this into personal domains and I'm, I'm curious to know from each of you at the top of this episode how you would attempt to rank them if you even want to well that's okay so i've heard the way i've heard it explained and i'm obviously a beginner here but the way i've heard the quad explained is that they should be equal but now emily's saying <laughs> that's not the way they were thought of in, in the first place even the founders were kind of even the founders trying of to it. wait some more 
But I really like the idea of them being pretty equal. But in practicality, do you find for yourself that to be true? Because I know as much as I want them to be equal, that is not the case for me. If I had Mm -hmm. to say which one was first, I would definitely say experience followed by scripture. Mm, Okay. Because experience is the strongest proof of Christianity apart from scripture. Sure. Oh, can you say more about that? How do I phrase this? Um, Experience is something that we live out both internally and outwardly. And Mm. it's something that I guess would say is accomplished, like by experiencing what is written in scripture, what is found in tradition and what we think of in our reasoning, we live it out. And I think that is a strong testament of what we as Christians believe, what we understand, what we're struggling with. Um, mm. It wraps everything neatly in a bow, in my experience. And we even say, uh, even just that sentence, in my experience, we make it something very personal and very authentic to us. Whereas we can't say, well, in my reasoning, in my scripture, in my tradition, it's right. those mm. other three influence the thing that you are experiencing. Sure. So that's why I would say experience followed by scripture. Okay. Have you ever heard, um, I think it was Richard Rohr who came up with this. Have you ever heard of the new conceptualization of this called the tricycle? Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up, Josh. Yeah. I had a question about it in my notebook. Is it Richard Rohr who did this? Yes. Yep. Okay. I know he talked about it, but I wasn't sure if he came up with it. But the idea is, it's like experiences at the front wheel and scripture and tradition are the back wheels because our experience drives everything else. Mm-hmm. Even though we have those like those things behind us still on the same movement, we like experienced scripture and we experienced tradition. And that makes sense to me, but I still like the idea of them being more or less equal. But I guess to answer your question, Stephen, I think whichever one if they're ranked at all i think it depends on our historical social context yeah oh yeah there's the sociologist degree yeah. coming out because <laughs> because if you think if you think about all the christians who came before the printing press they did yeah. not have physical bibles and mm. i think you could easily argue that they did not see authority of scripture as the most important Absolutely. underpinning they That's totally saw point. tradition and like the the church's experience of scripture as authoritative. Right. But I think that their, their social experience and their experience of the church tradition held much more weight to people personally than the experience of scripture. But I kind of liked Emily, how you differentiated between like private and public. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that kind of has some interesting ramifications. That's an interesting framework to apply. It, absolutely. Well, so then, not sociological Josh speaking, what would you rank it? Because I feel like you would have some type of ranking. She's turning the screws on you, man. (laughs) You try Um, to be all neat and tidy, but I know you. I'm not sure, honestly. That's a good answer. I think... Oh, man, I don't know. That's a really good question. I almost see, I want to say experience, mm-hmm. but, and I don't know if it was the way, I, the way I was raised or the way that my thinking has like shifted different directions the last couple years, 
but I like still like go back to the text. Like as much as I don't read the Bible every day, like if I'm going to make an argument for anything, mm-hmm. especially if I'm going to make an argument about someone who I think is using the Bible incorrectly, like I always go to the text. Yeah. So it's a good answer. I don't know. Like it, it's kind of like a dichotomy between what I feel and like what I actually do. Sure. Yes. It's almost yeah. like when you go to Panda Express and you get half chow mein, half rice, you know. Because you can't equal. Yeah. Which, which is why I think I like the idea of them being more or less equal in experiencing Christianity. Right. I get that. That makes sense. I've seen a graphic of the quad where experience, reason, and tradition were represent, represented in equal, by equal circles, kind of overlapped on each other in a, a, a like a triangular Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then an all-encompassing circle was beneath those three representing scripture. Mm. So it's like one mm. one is like the ultimate lens in which everything else is filtered through. So in, the, in that one, scripture was like the bedrock of everything and everything else was just kind of put on the plate. Yeah. Mm. That's definitely like a Wesleyan perspective of those theological lenses for which, sure. I I think was compelling to me at a time in my life, scripture being just the plate that everything is served up on, because I I think there it's, it's easy for, um, for scripture. Well, so I guess the, the fact that we're even discussing the quad, first of all, we should address, it doesn't invalidate, but it's, it's already a critique of something like sola scriptura where it's scripture and only scripture. Mm -hmm. I was wondering about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, at least I am. Is it if if Wesley understood it as scripture still having the ultimate authority? Oh, that's a good question. I guess that's a good point. But I I, I still feel like the fact that any of the others are given weight, like the the fact that they're recognized is no longer sola anything. It is. okay. well, how would you do? I guess it depends on how you would define sola scriptura, because I've heard people describe it differently sometimes. How would how would how have you heard it described? Oh, um. I guess, yeah, scripture is inherently the final authority of any anything you might encounter in the world. Oh, no. see, I've also heard it described differently, even though I think some people believe that. Okay. Josh, how have you heard it described? I've I've also heard it described as the the biblical text is sufficient to lead us to Jesus Christ. See, that's how I was taught that definition as well. Hmm. So maybe I have some preconceptions to work with. And that's that's how I've heard the quad described, too, is that and I think the Bible supports this, although just by saying that I like make it sound like the Bible has bigger authority. But anyway, I think that the Bible even hints at uh, the idea that people just by their own experience of life and creation and love and existence can like find God and the experience of the true God without scripture. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the Bible kind of suggests that, honestly. So I think that's why I like the quad, because like, to me, it suggests that like we can experience God in a multitude of ways. And that multitude of experience is is what reveals God in right. the truest sense. And the, but the way you even frame that there, that makes me feel like experience is is the plate and everything else is put on top the, of that platter because even just in saying sure. that multitude of experience it's like yeah it's actually coming down to the different ways 
we approach mm. tradition and we approach scripture, even That's approach reason. So there's one way to think of the mm. quad. I, I imagine, you know, you go in for it, an eye exam and they put you up against that massive goggle uh, mechanism. Oh, yes. And it's like they'll, they'll constantly flip through different lenses and they're like one or two, three or four. Okay, now one or three. Mm. Okay, now three or six. And you, they're constantly comparing multiple lenses at mm-hmm. once to figure out, to really try and dial in what your prescription should be if you need one. Mm. I kind of imagine the quadrilateral in, in the sense of you place one lens. So if you're the viewer and God is on the other side, then in mm. the order in which you put these filtering lenses in front of your eye develops your theology like develops what you see by the end of it right and it develops like what what shade god takes in a way or at least what what uh what shade your theology shows up as in the world because if you start with experience and for example let's say experience is a red lens then instantly a lot of like blue light is filtered out and so now everything looks a little red, but then you you start adding different colors and things change. But the way you bias the order actually impacts something down the line. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm thinking of a couple things already. Um, number one, Emily, I'm going to walk back my earlier answer. Oh. Uh, well, I, I have previously... I don't know if I'm, know if I'm have... welcome to take backsies. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. I, have, I, I feel very... Conscious of the fact that I have previously ranked several of these higher than others. Okay. Like, Mm -hmm. I was definitely raised to believe that scripture was like the ultimate or the final word or like better than any other proof of existence of Mm -hmm. faith. Like, it's it's everything. Like, basically, so is scriptura, but like, I wasn't taught it in those terms, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then, like, high school, post high school. Uh, definitely became a lot more interested in apologetics and like the reasoning of our faith and like being able to mm. uh, prove or disprove certain things sure. or like being able to show that faith can be reasonable and it isn't just pie in the sky. I believe whatever I want. And I, so I definitely like went through a time period where I felt like reason like ranked way higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, I think these days I like feel the lack of tradition that I've had in my Christianity. Hmm. Like I've had almost no appeal to like, this has been the way the Christian church has looked and is looking around the world. And like that in itself is powerful. That's why we see the creeds or that's why we have liturgy, liturgical calendars. I think that's why that stuff is so interesting to me because I haven't had that emphasized yet. I think I, first of all, thank you so much for your answer. Uh, I really appreciate it because you just explained perfectly in my eyes, at least how Christian faith should be lived out. It should be these like kind of ebbs mm. and flows of things. Like if mm. if scripture was to be the number one foundation your entire life, that's good. But I would also say that you're missing mm. out on some things. And so I think the fact that you have gone through these changes of what you found to be the most influential as far as a theological lens just shows the dynamic livelihood of Christianity. That it's mm, not just mm-hmm. always going to be focused on scripture. It's not always going to be focused on experience, reason, tradition, whatever the case may be. We're going to have these moments where something is going to be more life-giving than something else, and then that's okay. That 
just because mm-hmm. tradition isn't life-giving for you at the moment doesn't mean you're not going to learn things from it. You're just not going to put that at the focal point of your growing perspectives for moving forward in your faith. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Well, and I think that that's why this is the other thing I was thinking of, Stephen. Um, I think that's why I really love the idea of the quad being having like semi-equal authorities because uh, what you got me thinking about, Stephen, was almost any cult that relies on some form of Christian tradition or scripture, mm. I feel like always emphasizes one way over any of the mm-hmm. others. Like it's either like all about mysticism and it's like experience only. Yeah. Um, and or they're like only reading the Bible and they're not using like current experience or uh, literary critique or like basic reasoning, philosophical skills to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like emphasizing things that like shouldn't be emphasized or they're not looking to church tradition and like, has the church ever thought this before? Has this ever been an issue? Or like, what has the church tended to think about this scripture that we're like using to base our entirety of belief on? And I feel like almost uh, we could have a whole different conversation about cults, but you just made me think about like the misuse of Christianity and how much harm it's caused to a Mm -hmm. lot of people, physical or non-physical. And how, to me, it seems like it's almost always a product of someone em- way emphasizing one of these pieces of the quad way more than the others. Yeah. Almost like how you look at those. I don't know. Does that track? Yeah. you feel like that fits? Yeah. No, it totally does. I'm, I'm imagining like those graphics, those results you get from like the disc test. Have you ever seen those like on people's desks where they have the, mm, no. the multicolors and they have the, their scores shooting into each quadrant? I'll have to look oh, that up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I have. See them on, mm-hmm. I see them on like bank teller's desks a lot. Um, yeah. That, that's that's kind of what oh, that- I've never seen those. That made me oh. think of like, uh, yeah, if, if we wait one too heavily for too long, we cause an imbalance and we kind of have to come back to back to the center. Yeah. Other, otherwise, the, yeah, it's like a weird, weird analogy I have in my mind is like, like trying to spin a frisbee on your finger it's like if you put pressure on any one point the thing tips over and just wobbles Mm. right Mm. so Mm -hmm. but if you keep the weight evenly distributed and that's and that's where exactly what emily was saying like that fluctuation effect of you know there was a season in my life when scripture was really the thing that was teaching me the most about god and now i'm in a time in my life where experience is teaching me the most about god that's the that's at least the way i frame the quad is what of these Mm. four elements are teaching me the most about God at this time in my life. It's not necessarily, I, I try to take it as a, it's almost the, the exact opposite of what I was just saying about how you look at God through four different colored lenses and depending on what order. Sometimes it's almost mm-hmm. the exact opposite where uh, depending on what the order is, God has something to teach you and whichever thing is like. Like, like corrective lenses. That's what I really liked about the eyeglass exactly. analogies because- you think about you have like an astigmatism or a blindness, cataracts, you know, we could go on and on about the eye analogy. Right. Yeah. But I'm just thinking about how when we read scripture, when we hold on to tradition, when we have an experience, whatever the case may be, if we hold on to that for so long and we're not utilizing those other means of interpretation or perspectives then we almost need enhancements. We almost need assistance in Mm. order to utilize that. And so I think that's Mm. where it's where glasses can be helpful. If you can't, if you're farsighted, 
there are lenses that are specifically created to help and assist with that so you can see. You can see more clearly. And so maybe if you heavily rely on scripture and you don't utilize experience, you can have quote unquote corrective lenses that help you see and experience experience um, more effectively. And yeah, and I think with reason, you know, if you really hold on to tradition, but you don't see the importance of reasoning, then you Mm. can have your glasses where it'll help you to see the fullness of reason and how you can apply it to your individual right. life. Yeah. And each, mm. each, it's like each spoke of the wheel I'm throwing, we're throwing around so many analogies, but like, so each, <laughs> each, each spoke of the wheel is offering a different level of support. And they also have unique ways of bringing someone back toward the center. So like I'm imagining somebody starts going off on some weird, uh, scripture passage. They employ, a specific type of reasoning to reach their conclusion and they start looking for ways in the world that they can experience that and they start talking about it all that much and then tradition is like whoa 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 the reason we have concepts like heresy is because tradition has a way of like pulling people back toward the center like hold on mm. let's mm. like we've done this for this long this way and let's let's have a conversation about it before you just like go off in the middle of the nowhere and try to start something new or find your own demise or something right so like each it almost seems like each mode has a way of calling you back to it i wanted to talk about the what we just joked about emily like experience being baked into the thing just in the way we use our sentences and Mm -hmm. have been in this conversation Mm -hmm. so far i think of the quad sometimes so if i was going to answer my own question where uh, on how the quad if we had to give it like a hierarchical ordering. I think of the quad almost in a temporal sense, like Mm. a human being is born and they do not contain the faculties to understand scripture, reason, or tradition. They are pure experience. Mm -hmm. Mm. And as they grow up, as they are taught by their parents and essentially like inducted into the culture of their family um, in an immediate sense and also into your extended family, but then beyond that, you're you're introduced to school and you're introduced to church. I think tradition actually comes after experience if we're following the timeline, because even before mm. you can start framing words and thoughts as words to your parents, say as a one or two year old, you're already being taught people like us do things like this, which is essentially a definition of tradition like we do stuff like this because of who we are after that like as we learn words we start learning um and usually i think it probably comes out in kids they're testing their boundaries Mm. and seeing what they can get away with and seeing what their parents would let us get away with so as we test those boundaries and and as our parents have to clearly define them and pull us back inside that circle of safety like we employ reasoning skills to be like, well, no, I didn't actually like you, you're trying to like wiggle yourself out a little bit. And I think then you start hitting the Sunday school age where now you're like, you're singing the Jesus songs. You're given the first stories that children typically are a lot of like cartoon versions of Jonah and the whale or Moses, you know? So like 
if I was going to order them, I almost think of a baby growing up through experience, mm-hmm. tradition, reason, and scripture last. And that's not to discount and say scripture has nothing to teach them. It's just they don't have the faculties to handle mm. scripture until the others are present in their life. Mm. Does that make sense? Actually, that's actually, actually a really good point because uh, you made me think of like cognitive impairments too. Like, sure. Does that mean that some people can't experience the fullness of the quad? Oh, wow. Like, is it, is it inherently ableist because it includes reason mm. and like the cognitive experience? Which might be sometimes why Wesley would talk about reason and experience with such a blurry line. Maybe he was recognizing that. Um, well, I would say it. I think it could be ableist. However, if we were to go back to how Wesley saw reason um, and later how it was then portrayed by Outler, Wesley believed mm. that reason wasn't just a human invention. It actually it has to be assisted mm. in some way. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh. And so I would say that reason like that. is definitely beyond just mere human invention and we i think anyone is able to utilize it and have it in their life right but like it could be ableist if you take that away from someone if you if you take away how it can be used if you take away god's presence in reason and experience tradition and scripture then it is absolutely ableist because you are then dictating the situation of how people are supposed to utilize these lenses of formation wow yeah yeah, absolutely. Ooh. How did Wesley uh, make sense of people who were illiterate, like he mm. could not read scripture? Plus, he was doing this like post printing press when there was like yes. significantly more access to scripture as literacy. Was I doubt exploding. he would have thought the same yeah. way about it if he had been doing this theology pre printing press, right? That's true. Yeah, or even pre enlightenment. Like that's that's what reason. Mm-hmm brings to my mind when I when I hear it presented in the quad and that's why I've I've used the the Richard Rohr uh tri tricycle before but the lack of reason there feels almost like a pre-enlightenment a holdout you know mm-hmm. but again again like Emily said like reason reason pre-existed the enlightenment it's just that global movement just mm-hmm. like woke us up to its possibilities I guess but the Holy Spirit was also always there guiding us and teaching us. I guess I would say for those who couldn't read scripture, it doesn't mean they couldn't find someone who could. Mm. They, they had friends or resources where they could still hear scripture. And so it would still count, I guess is a way I'm trying to sneak past that. Cause even I'm thinking of the circuit writers and I'm thinking of Wesley himself and the bishops Mm. that he sent out where they did. They they had their sermons, but they would read like scripture after scripture after scripture. And everyone that was there, five, fifty, five hundred people, they heard it. And so they were still able to take the scripture that they heard and apply it in whatever lens that they had experience, reason, tradition. Um, but it definitely would help if they could read. Um, but it, not to say that they didn't have to. OK, maybe this is a dumb question. Maybe one of you can answer this. What is the quad for? Like, what is the function of it? What does it lead us to? Understanding. Or what is it, like, the intention of it? To help 
to help provide lenses through which we understand our Christian identity is how I see it. Mm. So these, these are building blocks or lenses that we can utilize throughout our life, no particular order, no right or wrong way of using it really, and helping us to formulate our own understanding of our own beliefs. And that's where the public and private, I think, kind of plays in nicely, because privately, we may utilize experience, but maybe publicly, we utilize tradition. But that's not to say that your personal lens is wrong, or is to say that the church's lens is the only way. It's These are just different avenues to which we can formulate our own understandings wow. of yeah. our belief system. Mm. I like that. I think it's an identity thing and to touch on what I was trying to ramble through earlier, it's like, it's both a mode in which we can view the world. Like it gives us the, the eye doctor series of lenses to look outward. Mm. And at the same time, um, it gives us, it gives us a nice balance of like, everything can be our teacher if we're open to it. Uh, Josh, even, even in the way you kind of covered your history, um, when the answer uh, dawned on you, it was like, you know, for a time, there was a season in my life where where scripture was the thing that was teaching me the most. And then I went through a phase or a season where apologetics and the reasoning out of our faith was was the most compelling thing to me that was keeping me inside a Christian identity. So it's like different aspects of the quad are both lenses in which we look from inside out, but also teachers that get stuff in us Mm. from the outside in so emily you kind of grew up with this where would you have like been taught about this or like where would you see it used or like i'm just kind of curious like what your experience uh, your experience of it was like (laughs) there it is again Um, i first was introduced to the quad i believe i was in uh eighth grade Seventh or eighth grade. It was um, the start of our confirmation class. And basically, our our idea of confirmation is very basic. You just try to get through as much as you can of Methodist history, polity, all that. As I got older and as I went to seminary, we really broke down the quad a lot. Mm. We, we talked about it from a historical point, from a spiritual point, uh, even like sociologically, we talked about you know, how do other cultures, if they were to have Mm. something like this, other traditions, how would they utilize it? Um, But I would say seventh or eighth grade was the first time that I was introduced to this. And as a Methodist, confirmation class or adult ed, regardless, it is super important, I think, as a Methodist, because we hold on to Wesley so much that it grounds us deeply. And that's what separates us, I think, from a lot of other Protestant or Reformed denominations because Mm. we utilize Mm. this tool even if we don't consciously say it where we're like oh yes i'm using the quad today we may not have to verbalize it into existence but we know that we're utilizing it every day and then that i think Mm. that is what separates us is because we acknowledge that even in my sermon i find my sermon style writing is kind of focused on the quad where i'll utilize scripture obviously um, I tie in a story. Well, that's experience. I then give my reasoning behind scripture, behind my interpretation. And in tradition, I'm able to have a prayer, our liturgy, mm. whatever it is, incorporated 
you know, in my sermon, I always end with a type of benediction before I actually give the blessing at the end of the service. So I almost have like two benedictions. I have the one in my sermon, which I consider to be tradition. And then I have one for the end of the service itself. And so just as a Methodist pastor, I'm incorporating the quad in my preaching and outside of that in my classes, in my visits with, you know, congregants, in my own biblical studying, in my own meditation, whatever it is, it's always a part of my life. What do you guys think the impact of using the quad on postmodern philosophy is? So I guess like what's what's driving the question, postmodern philosophy is often uh, held forward from guys like Foucault and Derrida, and it's essentially because we're experiential machines, everything becomes subjective subjective by the end of the day. there's There's little to no objective mm-hmm. reality that we can know even if it exists. So this this is where we get common attacks against postmodernism. It's like, well, you're just trying to operate in the world through your feelings or whatever feels best to you in the moment. Um, mm. how, do you, how do you think the, the quad uh, critiques that kind of philosophy? Again, I think that's why I like the idea of them having near equal underpinning or authority for the way we go about things. Sure. Because... Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I do think that's a valid critique, honestly, but yeah, I don't. I'm not really sure how to articulate it, but I do. Well, again, it's it's one of those things where the other members of the quad can provide step up. tension and bring mm-hmm. and kind of reel the reel the one that's out of step back into the into the fold to get back to more of a co-equal weight. Yeah, because I think postmodern philosophy does smack of almost like sola experientia if you want to put like fancy words to it but it's like this is how i'm experiencing the world so this is the only right way for me to act because i'm Mm. you know pursuing just a response to exactly my experience whereas tradition would tell you no you're actually part of a long lineage of of people who have experienced something similar and like my friend uh Nathan Fordham in our No Normal People episode, he named his jewelry company based on a Zulu word uh, in Pepo, which essentially just reminds him literally every day when he's making his art through jewelry that he is in constant collaboration with our ancestors and with the traditions of making beautiful art mm. through metal and through through jewelry and, and things that you adorn your body with. So. Hmm. that that's like a way to pull you back from just a purely subjective uh, lens to the world, I think. But I think that the quad still acknowledges the power of subjectivity, but you're right. It like balances it out, but I think it's it's good to, I don't know. You can like go to one extreme or the other, like, like there's only subjectivity or there's only objectivity, but like the, I feel like the quad is in the middle and saying like, yeah, like there's both like we're on the search for the objective but yeah we obviously are subjective beings and because we we all know that we all have individualized experiences we're therefore going to have individualized experiences with our faith and tradition and scripture mm-hmm. like that that just makes sense true I so I, I don't know i don't think it's necessarily critiquing postmodernism, i guess but in my mind it's much more of a like a moderate view sure yeah 
Emily, I was curious, could you speak to the, the parsing we did at the beginning between experience and what Wesley called Christian experience? What's the difference or how do you, how do you hear the difference? My understanding is it's separating the everyday experience from the spiritual experience. And that's where I kind of jump off board because I think everything is a spiritual experience. Oh, but I think some people prefer the label of Christian experience as it takes away the, oh, you know, when I got out of bed and I stumped my toe on something like that was an experience. But did that have any influence on your lens of Christianity? No, but mm. that's not to say that later on down the road when you stub your toe and you're like, oh, I remember how I felt that just like. That was really painful and you start to think on it and maybe then <laughs> you think of a spiritual time when you stubbed your toe. I don't know. This is a really outlandish example. So, so Christian but experience would more be like uh, trying to highlight the value of maybe like a charismatic experience of the Holy Spirit or a mystical yeah, experience. Yeah, a time when you had like a spiritual high is how I like to describe it. Oh, um, yeah. I like but, that phrasing. But I think, it, again, I think it can happen at any time. And so that's why I, when I use the quad, I use just the word experience because everything and anything can be spiritual. I don't think we need to have the label of Christian experience to negate that. Emily, you got me thinking a little bit about, uh oh, um, like the, no, this is good. You just like <laughs> reminded me about the emerging fields of neurotheology and like the their mm-hmm. neurological imaging of the spiritual religious experience. There's yeah. honestly not a huge body of literature yet, but um, Oh no, it's like I, just, it's I think it's super yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's like within the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um mostly because of like new technology, but I do think it's kind of interesting like you were talking about the mm, like the possible uh, I I think I disagree with you a little bit. I don't know <gasps> about like Say separating more. the well, I don't know. Maybe we don't disagree as much as we agree on this, but uh, like you were kind of talking about this, the difference between general experience and like the spiritual experience. But then you were also admitting that you think anything can be spiritual. But in like the scientific study of the spiritual religious experience, they like look, they like usually specifically study like very clear cut defined activity like prayer or meditation or spiritual religious qualitative activity and it's not brain imaging. Sure. Um, so like on one hand, I want to say you, like we have to separate the spiritual from the non-spiritual, but I also agree with you that like all of our experience adds to the rest of our experience. And so in some ways we can't like make those separations if it's like, right. If we're, because we're like linear beings and we, so, like, here's an like example. experience time. I used to be in a relationship um, with a dear friend of mine. We moved from more, you know, platonic to more erotic and romantic. And we were very good friends. And then we broke up. You know, he did not treat me well. And it was horrible. And I think about how that experience for me did, in fact, impact my spiritual life. But I consider mm. that to still be spiritual. Like, Mm. I was experiencing mm-hmm. love in that moment that I thought to be, you know, authentic and wholesome. And, you know, it turned out that it wasn't, but it was still a spiritual experience because of how I was applying myself as a spiritual being into that relationship. Mm. 
And I think that's that's where I think the label Christian experience troubles me because you don't have to be Christian to experience something spiritual. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I totally agree with. And so that's yeah. And so that's why I like just experience because like anything can be mm, okay. Anything can be spiritual for anyone. And I think Christ, who was not Christian, uh, would probably say the same thing. Hmm. No, I like that clarification, actually. I think that's really wise. Plus, I like the way that you highlighted that these these parts of the quad really bleed into each other. And oh, I think maybe yeah. that's the part I don't like about the representation of it is I almost wish somehow the visual of it highlighted the impact the like each one can have on the other. Mm. Like I was just I was just like thinking about today about how some people's experience of another person's religion can be really colored by a specific experience. And then sure. they think that all tradition and all scripture is like, wow. That. Yeah. Yeah. But it can happen in, in reverse too. Like someone can go through really intense, like trauma in a spiritual religious community. And it then impacts their own daily experience. For going sure. Forward. sure. For sure. And I kind of wish the visual like helped represent that a little bit, but I don't really have a suggestion. So, and maybe that's, <laughs> I don't want to say it's a fault, but maybe that's a growing point for the quad is that's the beauty of personal interpretation is we're given mm. this shape or this quad, but we can then apply it however we best see fit at the time because we know mm. going forward it can change. So weaving it into your own life in a way that is still life giving and still wholesome, but mm. can be adapted. And so I think. When you think of the quad, I would just suggest you don't even think of the 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 plus sign. I would just say just think of the words out there in like four segments, mm. like just mm -hmm. out there imagining a square somehow, some way, but then being able to mold it and mend it in a way that fits where you are spiritually in your personal life. I think that gives freedom to it rather than here's this mm. shape. That's already there. You then have to use it in that way, because although we may want it to be uniform, they do definitely enhance one another. And I think that shape kind of takes that away at, at some point because it's clearly divided. Yeah. Every tool has yeah. its limits for sure. For sure. Josh, I was curious to ask once you got talking about neurotheology, I was curious um, if any points from your undergrad thesis has have come up for you as ways ways that the quad shows up in the world um specifically regarding the quad i hadn't really had any other thoughts besides that although i was reminded of william james he was a he was a philosopher and considered one of the fathers of psychology and a lot of uh current researchers rely pretty heavily on um, his framework for the religious experience. He wrote a lot about of like the psychology of the religious and spiritual, but he brought up, and this was like pre neuroimaging. Uh, he brought up the point that if all this isn't a direct quotation, so I'm going to butcher this a little bit. His point was basically, even if in studying the spiritual and religious, um, we find that certain brain structures light up or we see activity in certain uh, mechanisms in the body that does not minimize the spiritual religious experience to those bodily functions. Mm, yeah. 
In other words, if we like take an MRI of someone having a religious experience today um, while they're praying, for instance, and we see that the, the prefrontal cortex is lighting up, that doesn't mean that their prayer experience and their experience of the spiritual is just the prefrontal cortex. I love that. It just means that that's the way we're observing I love it. that. Mm. Yeah. And I, I really like that even like before we had the technology to do this kind of scientific research, like he already had the, the reasoning, the, the underpinning that we can like study these things and we can come at the religious and the spiritual from different angles and like learn more about it. But that doesn't mean we know everything there is to know. And I think that's really wise. That's really, that's really strong. That feels like a good place to wrap this one up, if I do say so myself. Anything mm-hmm. else you guys want to add? Shout out to William James if you're listening to this podcast. Yes. Whoop, In whoop. the far past, future? I don't sure. know. Josh, do you want to put a link to your undergrad thesis in our show notes? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, if anyone's listening and they haven't uh, listened to my No Normal People episode, what Stephen is mentioning is um, for my undergrad in psychology and sociology, I wrote my uh, capstone thesis on like an interdisciplinary study of the way Alcoholics Anonymous spirituality functions as a mechanism and like studying it from like multiple different scientific angles so that's partly where i'm coming from but yeah we can put a link to that in the show notes the the william james insight there was was huge in your research as as far as we've spoken before so that's very good well to land this plane here i'm gonna thank louis zong for the use of his song in full color off his album here that we get to use as our theme song every week also if you uh like what you're hearing and you want us to keep going or if you kind of don't love us um you can let us know about it <laughs> you can do that by leaving us a rating and a review on apple podcasts um also we are on twitter and instagram at RavelPod. and uh i just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has been leaving us reviews um that is super helpful and it definitely helps us be more likely to get discovered by people who want to have conversations like this and think about things like this for themselves so Thanks for being a part of this with us. Am I ready? Can I go? <laughs> oh, yeah. Go for it, Emily. Usually, Josh, you introduced always, me. I was yeah, waiting that's for true. it. I usually do. I'm <laughs> so one sorry. Of us usually waits. Emily, uh, do you have a, a benediction to end this experience? I sure do. Nice. However you utilize reason, experience, tradition, or scripture... Just know that it will change over time and that God is present in these moments with you. However you see God at work, how you see your beliefs changing, this quad can be a useful tool all the way down the road. Hello, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm Stephen. And I'm Dixie Lee. And this is a podcast where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. We think the best way to live is with curiosity. 
where we assume that everyone has something to teach us in some way. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. Right, so they could be thinking about tacos too. Well, that, or their own happiness, routines, and family. But most importantly, tacos. Well, to each their own, I guess. Which is the point of the show? The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire Sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast, and in Montana. Follow us at No People Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And remember, the, the only, only normal people, people you know are the ones you don't know very well. well.